a guy, old Zeke lived up in the mountains of Kentucky, which is where I'm from, not the mountains, I'm from central Kentucky. And uh, he heard the gospel in an old-fashioned revival meeting. And he went forward and he got saved. I mean, he got S-A-V-E-D. From the top of his head to the mama's feet, old Zeke got a good dose of Bible salvation. And he was going all over those mountains and he was giving his testimony. Well, actually, he was doing more preaching than he was testifying. And someone said, now, Zeke, if you're going to preach, you ought to get ordained. He said, well, what's that? They said, well, we'll get the brethren together and they'll ask you some questions. And if they believe that God has called you, they'll lay their hands on you and they'll ordain you. He said, okay, let's do that. Well, they brought old Zeke in. They set him down in a little chair with a half moon circle. And uh, they said, now, Zeke, we want to ask you some questions. He said, all right, go ahead. So first of all, do you believe the Bible? Do I believe the Bible? I believe the Bible from lid to lid. I even believe the lid. It's a holy Bible. One guy said, well, Zeke, what's your favorite book of the Bible? Well, he scratched his chin and he said, now, my favorite book of the Bible be the Gospel of Luke because it contained the story of the Good Samaritan. And one of the brethren said, well, Zeke, why don't you just tell us the story of the Good Samaritan? He said, all right, I will. I don't know whether he stood up or what. He said, well, once upon a time, there was a man that went from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and that man fell among the thorns, and the thorns growed up and choked that man. And along come the angel of the Lord, and he strove with that man and set him free. Here come the queen of Sheba in her royal chariot, and she give him five wedges of gold and 50 changes of raiment. He went over into the big city and he bought himself a chariot. He got in that chariot and he drove furiously until his hair got caught in the tree limb and left him hanging there many days and many nights. And along come Delilah with her scissors and she cut off his hair and he fall on the stony ground and he bring forth some 30, some 60, some hundredfold. He look up into the sky and he see a cloud about the size of a man's hand. It commenced to rain. It rained 40 days and 40 nights. But the Lord then prepared a fish to swallow him up during the tribulation. And when the 40 years was over, that fish spit him out on the dry land. He walked down the road. He see that big giant Goliath. He passed by on the other side. And a man come out. He said, I want you to come and take supper with me. He said, I have married a wife and I cannot come. But he compelled him to come. And after supper, he said, did not my heart burn within me? He walked down the road and he looked up in the, in the city where this ledge and this wicked woman Jezebel is up on the ledge. And he said, who's on the Lord's side? They said, we're on the Lord's side. He said, flang her down. They flanged her down. He said, flang her down again. And they flanged her down again. He said, flang her down 70 times 7. And they flanged her down 70 times 7. And the fragments that remained were 12 baskets full, not counting women and children. And I want to leave you with this one last question. Whose wife is she going to be in the day of the judgment? <laughs> I'd almost like to heard that sermon with you. And then after he learned how to rightly divide the word of truth, it probably got a whole lot better. In the book of Luke chapter 1, for as much as many have taken in hand to set forth in order a declaration of those things which are most surely believed among us, even as they deliver them unto us, which from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word. It seemed good to me also, having had perfect understanding of all things from the very first, to write unto thee in order, most excellent Theophilus, 
of those things which are most surely believed among us, that you may know those things that you've been instructed in. That's a little prologue into the Gospel of Luke. May it please the great God of heaven that formed all things to stamp his divine approval upon the reading, hearing, heeding, and preaching of his forever settled in heaven word of God. And may I give you three quick facts about God. For the Lord is good, his mercy is everlasting, and his truth endureth to all generations. And would you pray with me and for me, please? Father, we submit ourselves to thee, how we need thee, and thee we live and move and have our being. And without we, thee, we can do nothing. Not a little bit, not something, nothing. We submit ourselves to thee, O Lord. May the Holy Ghost, the Comforter, bring all things to our remembrance. And may he convict of sin and of judgment and of righteousness. May we uplift the Lord Jesus Christ. Have your way in every heart and in every life. In Jesus' name, amen. One day Jesus said to the disciples, who do men say that I am? And they said, well, some say you're Jeremiah. Some say you're one of the prophets. Some say even John the Baptist. And then he got real personal, but he said, but who do you say I am? And Peter said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said, Peter, flesh and blood hath not revealed that to thee, but my father, which is in heaven, hath revealed that to thee. It's very important that you and I know who Jesus Christ is, that we might know those things that are most surely believed among us. If someone were to single you out and say, you go to Gospel Baptist Church? Yes, sir. What do they most surely believe? Now, he's not saying they believe, surely believe, most surely believe. And this is what Luke, who was a beloved physician, he his name is mentioned in three books in the Bible. His name is not attached to the Gospel of Luke, but he wrote the Gospel of Luke. It is the longest or largest book in the New Testament. I'm fascinated with Dr. Luke. Dr. Luke wrote the book of Luke and the book of Acts. If the Apostle Paul did not write Hebrews, I think he did, but if he didn't, that means Luke wrote more of the New Testament than anybody else. He was a, a physician who knew God. It is said that Dr. Luke used more medical terms than Hippocrates did, who was supposedly the father of modern medicine. Luke told a number of stories of parables. Some of them are not mentioned in Matthew, Mark, or John. Two of his most famous ones are the prodigal son and the good Samaritan. How many people have been helped and touched and encouraged by those two stories? Maybe a number of people sitting here tonight. And uh, Luke said, I, I picked up my pen and I want to write so that you'll be instructed in these things that are, these that are true about the Lord. Now, we live in a time right now when the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior, the Son of God, is taking it on the chin. Uh, every year, sometimes around Christmas or Easter time, uh, magazines like U.S. News and World Report in the old day, Time Magazine and others, they would write stories about who the real Jesus is. And what they were trying to say is that most of us have been deceived about who Jesus is. And they would say, we have found some documents that are old, old documents. And they give an entirely different story as who Jesus is. Now, what you have to understand, there was a group of self-imposed scholars. Now, a scholar is somebody who agrees with me. 
or you. Uh, no Democrat thinks a Republican is a scholar. No Republican thinks a Democrat is a scholar because they don't agree with each other. Uh, these hundred self-imposed scholars, they, made, they were made famous by four colored beads. They had a red bead, a pink bead, a gray bead, and a black bead. And here's what they did. They said, if Jesus said that, they put the red bead in. If they said, well, there's a possibility he said that, they put a pink bead in. If they said, now we believe that this saying was altered by his disciples or the early church, it was embellished a little bit, and so they put the gray bead in. If they were absolutely positively sure he didn't say that, they put the black bead in. Now, when they got through voting, they said that Jesus did not say 82% of everything that he did say in the Gospels. Now, the truth is, folks, if they're being honest, they don't believe he said the other 18 either. What they're trying to do today, they are trying to give us a new Jesus, a new Bible, a new gospel, a new church. They're not trying to adjust Christianity. They're trying to destroy it. And when they talk about those documents, some of those documents had, had been known by the early church, and they agree this is not true. And they discarded it. But if you have something that was back in the first century, we're in, this is 2023. In the first century, that's pretty old. And they said, see, we got these old documents that disprove what the Bible says. No, they'd already discarded that. And uh, they just brought it up now. And since people don't know about it, it sounds pretty good that we got these old documents that tell you that Jesus is not who he claimed to be, but he is. Now, the Bible says in 1 John chapter 1, at verse 1, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled of the word of life. Now, I want you to understand, John said, we've heard him. And we can still hear it ringing in our ears. Can you imagine hearing the sermon that Scott Pauley preached on the Sermon on the Mount and forget it easily? We can still remember that. And we've seen him. And then he wasn't being redundant. He said, we looked upon him. It's like, it's when the Calvary Quartet gets up and sings. And they get one of those songs when everybody gets in it, just suck all the air out of this room. Everybody's just caught up with what they're doing. And you want to lean forward. And you put your elbow on your knee and you put your chin in your hand. And you are really listening and looking. That's the idea. They've seen it and they looked upon it. And our hands have handled of the word of life. Now, does that sound to you like something made up? That sounds pretty good to me. And uh, these Johnny-come-latelys, this Jesus seminar, they never saw him or looked upon him or heard him or handled him, but they're going to tell you that it's not true. It's not so, but it is true. And Luke, the doctor, this is so exciting. He said, we were eyewitnesses. Now, some years ago up in Philadelphia, there was a TV station that their news department was not making much headway. They had a campaign ad to try to build up the listeners and watcherships. And so uh, they came up with this, this little saying, eyewitness news. Well, that little slogan, eyewitness news, we saw it, eyewitness news, propelled them to the top of the charts in the, the news area in Philadelphia. Well, here is Luke, Dr. Luke saying, we were eyewitnesses. But what's exciting about that? is the word eyewitness is from a word meaning auto optes. Now, 
Optes is optical. Optical is to see. Otto is self. And he is saying, I want you to see for yourself. Otto, optes. Now, you don't get that word, but if I said autopsy, you get that word. They do an autopsy. I went over to the coroner's office, the medical examiners in Fort Myers, not too far from our church. I said, I'd like to talk to somebody about, about a, an autopsy. And I thought I wanted to see it, but I'm glad I didn't get to see it. But they told me about it. They said, well, we take a person in, and we're trying to determine is this person who that we were told to believe that it was. And this is the way that they succumbed, succumbed or whatever. And uh, they measure a person. They weigh a person. They look them over. They find out what color eyes they had, what color hair they had, if they had any tattoos on their body, any, anything that was unusual about their body. They do an external exam. And then they open them up, and they do an internal exam. And uh, this person, someone said, this person died of a gunshot wound. But a medical examiner said, no, this person was dead before he got shot. The autopsy shows that this man died from drowning. Now, if you're the guy who shot that guy, <laughs> you might be glad to know that you didn't kill him. He was already dead. But you're in bad shape anyway. Uh, but an autopsy is so you can see for yourself. So what I thought I would do is let's do an autopsy on Jesus. Now, we don't have his body. And it's obvious because his body is seated at the right hand of the Father. And he's going to come back for us one day. But, but we can see for ourselves if Jesus Christ is really whom the Bible claims that he is. Now, I want you to understand that the life of Jesus Christ as presented in the Bible it's unbelievable unless it's true. How would you have a, an incarnation? That's God become a man. A virgin birth. A sinless life. A crucifixion. A resurrection. An ascension. And a promise. I'll be back. Who could invent such a life? First of all, why would you want to invent such a life? It's just unbelievable. Unless it's true. All of this was God's idea. And God is not trying to deceive us. He's not trying to pull the wool over our eyes. He wants you to know. He wants you to know him. The Bible says in 1 Timothy 3, verse 16, and without controversy, there's no argument about this, without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, how does God come? How does he come into the world? Did he just drop out of heaven and be a full-grown man? What, what does he do? Well, let me tell you the route that the Bible teaches that Jesus came. The incarnation, he had an unusual entrance into this world. And that unusual entrance is that he was born of a virgin. You might want to read again Luke's Gospel, chapter 1, when he came to Zacharias and told him about John the Baptist and what he was going to do. And then he goes to Mary and says that 
she's going to have the son of the highest. And that holy thing which is born to her will be the son of God. And she said, how can this be, seeing I know not a man? And the Holy Ghost shall overshadow thee. What's interesting to me, that in the Bible, the person who talks the most about the virgin birth is a medical doctor. You might think, well, they're the people who deny that. Dr. Luke, who is a very beloved and very good physician, he taught us about that. A virgin birth. And then you think about when that happened, when you consider that the, the night that the shepherds were keeping watch over their flock by night, and the angel of the Lord appeared unto them, and uh, when he gave his assignment, and the Bible says, and suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host. And they were saying, glory to God in the highest, and earth, peace, goodwill toward men. The angel showed up. I have a question for you. How many came? The Bible teaches us all of them came. In Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 6, And when he bringeth in the first begotten into the world, he said, And let all the angels of God worship him. This had never happened before and will never happen again. When God would manifest himself in flesh. And so when he was born on this earth, God sent all the angels to look at this spectacle. God, a baby. That's pretty unusual, isn't it? That God would empty the heavens out for observation of his son. And then the Bible says the wise men came. This is in Matthew chapter 2. When they came, and it wasn't just three guys. This was a big entourage. And they came, and it shook old Herod up. He was troubled. And so was Jerusalem. Who are these guys? They're not from around here. They don't look like us. They don't talk like us. Who are these guys? And they had a question. Where is he that is born king of the Jews? Well, Herod thought, I'm the king of the Jews. Who is this? But he couldn't act like that, so he had to sort of play dumb. And he said, well, uh, when you find him, come and let me know. So he brought the wise men in, the scribes. He said, where is the Christ supposed to be born? Isn't that interesting? And they said, well, according to Micah 5, he's supposed to be born in Bethlehem, Ephratah, Bethlehem, Judah. It was the city of David. And you would have thought there would have been a little sign, as you have these signs around here, that future home of the birthplace of the Messiah. Did you know that Bethlehem is just about six or seven miles from Jerusalem? When they came and they said, where is he in Bethlehem? Six miles away from where God was manifest in the flesh. Six miles away from Bible prophecy being fulfilled. Six miles away from salvation. Just six miles. But who'd go down there? Herod didn't go. The scribes didn't go. The people in Jerusalem didn't go. How, is, how far is six miles from Gospel Baptist in any direction? Six miles, probably most of the people in this room could walk it in a few hours. But nobody went down there to see him. And when they found him, he was a baby. They're looking for the king of the Jews, and he's a baby. And they opened up their treasures, and they gave him the three gifts, frankincense, gold, and myrrh. If you'd have caught those guys going out of Bethlehem, sir, was it worth your time and your trip? Oh, yes. Oh, I'd do it again. Yes, it was worth it. And God told them to go home another way, and they went home another way. They didn't go back until Herod 
killed all those babies in that area, two years old and younger. Why would they do that? Jesus obviously had an unusual entrance into this life. Then you would expect if God were to become a man, he would have an unusual example that he would leave us. Have you ever thought about Jesus and the spirit world? On occasion, Jesus would go into the temple and uh, there would be unclean spirits there. And they would say to him, we know who you are, Jesus of Nazareth. You're the Holy One. You're the Christ. You're the Christ of God. How did they know that? Where did they know that from? If you believe like I believe that the evil spirits were created as angels, as Lucifer was, and he had one opportunity, and he took it, he rebelled against God and took a bunch with him, and those, become, those became those unclean spirits. But they knew who Jesus was because they knew him on the other side of Bethlehem. They knew him, right? Now, I think that every, everything the Bible says, everything was created in six days. Everything. So what day were the angels created? This is not a hill I die on, but I think they were created on the fourth day. I base that on Psalm 148. If you look at that, all the host of heaven, the day he commanded them to be created, and I think they were part of that host of heaven. But that's beside the point. Uh, They were there. They were the unclean spirits. They were the, the bad guys, but they knew who Jesus was. Well, what about the good spirits? Well, that angel that came to those shepherds keeping watch over their flock by night said, Behold, I bring you good tidings. Today of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. They were calling this baby the Lord. And when he was resurrected from the dead, the angel that stood at the graveside at the tomb, and he said, Come, see the place where the Lord lay. They knew who he was. The Spirit world knew who he was. Then what about Jesus and the Sabbath day? You know, there are some things if a man was trying to convince, especially Jews, you have to understand their history was long and deep. You did not easily so much fool them with a bunch of foolishness, and and they had... They had special things going on in their life. And here is Jesus showed up. And they had a law back in Exodus. If you violate the Sabbath day, you're to be killed. Remember the guy who was picking up sticks on the Sabbath day? They put him in hold. What shall we do? And God said, stone him. That wasn't just a little picking up a stick thing. That was disobedience to God. He knew he wasn't supposed to do that. And he did it anyway. You know, we go ahead and we sin and we think, well, it's just a little thing, but not to God. So on the Sabbath day, Jesus would never have violated the Sabbath if he were an imposter. You could get killed for that. Jesus went into the synagogue. There was a man there who had a withered hand. He said, stand forth. He did. He said, stretch forth your hand, and he stretched it forth, and it was made just like the other one. And the people went berserk, as it were. You can't do that on the Sabbath day. But he did. Jesus went into the synagogue, and there was a woman in the back that was bowed double. 
Only thing she saw was dirt or feet. And Jesus called her to come to him. And she came up and he put his hands on her and he straightened her up. And the ruler of that synagogue got so mad. There's six days you could come and be healed, but not on the Sabbath day. Well, if she'd have been there before, he didn't heal her. And he said, ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, who's been bound all these years by the devil, shouldn't she be loosed on the Sabbath day? Jesus was walking down by the pool of Bethesda, and there was a guy down there. He's trying to get in the water because the rule was when the water's troubled, whoever steps in first is healed of whatever he has. And this guy had been down there for years. And he's about to step in, and somebody jumps in ahead of him. And the Lord said, Will thou be made whole? He said, Lord, I want to, but I can't. Nobody help me. Jesus said, Will thou be made whole? And he healed him on the Sabbath day. Jesus met a blind man, and uh, he opened his eyes. And did he create a stir? And uh, they said, This man does this on the Sabbath day. He cannot be the Messiah. Does he not know about the Sabbath day? Yes, he does. I have a question. Which came first in the Bible? Man or the Sabbath? Man was created on what day? The sixth day. The Sabbath was what day? Seventh day. Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. He's the Lord of the Sabbath. The last two verses of Mark chapter 2, that he is the Lord of the Sabbath. He can do what he wants to on any day. But if he were trying, if he was just a deceiver, he would have never done that. And then what about Jesus and the selecting of the 12? Jesus is calling some men to be with him. He's going to train them. He's going to send them forth to be witnesses, preachers. They're going to be builders of churches, and they're going to be great witnesses for the Lord, heralds in his kingdom. And there's Peter and Andrew, James and John, Philip, Bartholomew, Thomas, and Matthew, James, the son of Les, Thaddeus, Simon the Canaanite, Judas Iscariot. He called all those people to be with him. One of those was a devil. Now, I want you to know, folks, if you're trying to deceive somebody into believing that you are not who you really are, and you're trying to convince them that you are somebody like God, you do not choose 12 people to live with you day and night. You know, if I were to ask anybody here tonight, perfect, well, don't raise your hand if you're married. And don't raise your hand if you have children. And don't try to get a bunch of people in Gospel Baptist Church to agree you are God. Now, you can be godly, but even then, that would be a little caveat most of the time. But all, all of us have feet of clay. Jesus chose these 12. You know, he's a people God. He loves people. He uses people. I got interested one day in the expression God of Abraham, God of Isaac, and God of Jacob. And I was asking myself, I wonder which one of those is mentioned the most. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. So I counted them. You can do that with a concordance. And I found there are more 
the God of Jacob than God of Abraham or the God of Isaac. Though Abraham was the friend of God. He was the father of a couple nations. But God of Jacob. Jacob was such a cheat, such a trickster, such a, such a transplant. And I thought, if God will be Jacob's God, he just might be Don Strange's God too. He just might be your God as well. He is the God of people. Now, did they really believe all of that? Don't you think those people said, hey, we're not out in the limelight right now. What's he really like? When the sun goes down and it's just you guys, what's he like? Oh, he's the same. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He doesn't change. He's the same. They believed in him so much that uh, two of them wanted to sit on his right and left hand in the glory. Every one of them except Judas, and he died, killed himself, but all of them gave their lives as martyrs for the cause of Jesus Christ. If this whole thing, if they didn't really believe it, somewhere along the line they would say, look, enough's enough. We've taken this game too far. But they didn't. Everything seemed to say they really believed that he was who he claimed to be. When he selected those 12 people to be with him. Now he wants you to be with him too. You know, there's an interesting verse in Acts chapter 3 and chapter 4 when Peter and John went up and healed that guy. And uh, from that one man's conversion, in chapter 4, there were 5,000 men that believed. And uh, they put J Peter and John in jail, tried to hush them up, but they saw their boldness, and they took knowledge of them, even though they thought they were ignorant and unlearned men, they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. You know, if you get around Jesus, he'll rub off on you. You get around Jesus and the aroma of heaven, will, it'll get over on you. And those guys, they were chosen to be with him. Uh, don't you wish you could find that one man in Estero or Bonita Springs or Fort Myers or Naples, Naples that somewhere, that one man's conversion would have caused a lot of people to get saved. That's possible. That's one man. Everybody knew that guy. They couldn't deny it. They got the man. Would that God would give us some of those that man. He selected the 12. I told you he'd have an unusual example of life. How about Jesus and the sacred place? Now to the Jew, Israel is the holy land. Jerusalem is the holy city. The temple is the holy place. Let me tell you how they felt about the temple. Jeremiah, God's man, preached and preached, never had a convert, but he preached the truth. And he said to the people down by the temple, you're saying, and here's what they said, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord are these. They thought as long as they had the temple of the Lord, it did not matter how they lived. And they were swearing and lying and committing adultery and doing all kinds of wickedness. But they said, there's the temple. We still got the temple. Everything is okay. We got the temple. You know, if you defiled the temple, they'd kill you for that. They went after Saul, who became Paul, 
thought he had taken Trophimus and Ephesian into the temple when he didn't, but they thought they did, and they were going to kill Paul. It was very special to them. You know, God doesn't say something three times very often. He did that time, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. But in Jeremiah 22, 29, they said, God said, Oh, earth, 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 hear the word of the Lord. God wants this whole planet and everybody on it to hear what he has to say. Because their eternal destiny is at stake. There are only two places, heaven or hell. You don't have to do anything to go to hell, but you have to be born again to go to heaven. Jesus, as a 12-year-old boy, he went into the temple. Joseph and Mary, they went on like they was going back to Nazareth. Took them a while before they even missed him, but he's in the temple. He's sitting there, and he's listening to them, and he's asking questions, and he's answering questions. They're amazed. They're astonished. Can you imagine someone said, uh, son, what's your name? On my mother's side, my name is Jesus. Savior, my people. On my father's side, my name is Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Son, where are you from? Well, on my mother's side, I was born in Bethlehem and raised in Nazareth. On my father's side, I am from eternity to eternity. Son, what are your plans? On my mother's side, I'm going to die on a cross. On my father's side, I'm going to be raised again the third day. Son, where did you learn all this? On my mother's side, I was raised on my mother's godly knees and lap and my dad and in the synagogue. On my father's side, I am the way, the truth, the life, and all wisdom and knowledge dwell in me. Son, what's your plans? Well, on my mother's side, I'm going to go down a cross. On my father's side, I'm going to be raised again the third day. Son, if we ever see you again, how will we know you? Well, on my mother's side, you'll know me by the print of the nails in my hands. On my father's side, you'll see me walking, clothed in a garment, down to the feet, in the midst of the candlesticks, saying, worthy is the land that was slain to receive honor and glory, power, majesty forever. So Jesus goes now into the temple at the end of his ministry. And the Bible says in Luke, Mark chapter 11, he goes in, and here's what he does. And he leaves. He goes down to Bethany and spends the night. But he comes back the next day and he started cleaning house. He's overthrowing the changers, the money changers table. He's doing this and this and this. He's messing with the temple. I wonder what he saw there when he was just looking around, what he saw. He saw religion at its best. It was convenient and commercialized. At its worst, it was compassionless and Christless. And so he is doing, cleaning it out. This gets convicting. If Jesus came into Winkler Old Baptist Church that I had the privilege of pastoring for so many years and looked around, what would he see? What would he want to throw out? 
What would he want to say? That a boy. Keep that up. Keep doing it. If Jesus walked in Gospel Baptist Church and looked around, what would he see? What would he say? You're doing good there. Keep that up. I'm going to strengthen that. I'm going to help you with that. What if Jesus came into our houses and just looked around? What would he see in our houses? He's, that's got to go. Worse yet, what if he just started looking around in our hearts? What would he see in our hearts? That needs to go. Jesus would never have messed with the temple unless he was the Lord of the temple. Well, he's here. God was manifest in the flesh. He's here. How does he get out of here? Oh, he's not finished yet. Jesus lived such a godly life. He pointed out their sins. And they started planning early on. We've got to get rid of him. He's got to go. And so under the mockery of a trial, they sentenced him to die. Pilate tried to talk him out of it. They wouldn't listen to him. His wife said, don't have anything to do with that judgment. I've suffered many things in a dream because of him. And that scared him. And they kept saying, crucify him, crucify him. And then Pilate went through this mockery of a hand-washing thing. Okay, I'm through. It's yours. And they took Jesus outside the city. It looks like a skull. It's at the edge of a bus station. If you ever get to go there, you could go to this spot, and you're standing with this little wrought iron fence here, and right here is this place that looks like a skull. You can see eye sockets. There's a little cemetery on top, a little fence up there. And right over here is the garden where he was crucified. There was a garden. That's where he's going to be buried. And right over here was that bus station. Dr. Lee Robertson went there, and he came away with a sermon. He said, the bus stops at Calvary. And the bus stops at Calvary anytime you want to go there. You don't have to go there to get there. But Jesus was crucified on Calvary. While he's being there, it's like all of a sudden, at 12 o'clock, God turned the sun out. Dark. You can't see anything. If you feel anything, it's probably darkness. That's the way it was in the, in the Exodus, in those judgments on Egypt. Darkness, you could feel it. That sun had seen a lot of things. That sun had seen all those days in the life of Jesus in his ministry. But one aspect right now, the sun doesn't get to watch this. Nor does anybody else. Jesus, in the garden, he said, if it's possible, Father, would you let this cup pass from me? Is there some other way? And there was not. And when they arrested him, Peter pulled out his sword and he cut off that guy's ear. And if Jesus hadn't put that ear back on, there might have been another cross on Calvary that day. 
And he said, put up your sword. This is in John 8. Put up your sword. I have to drink the cup that your, our father gave me to drink. And so when he's going to drink this cup, God turns aside. You see, the Bible says in the book of Habakkuk, God is of purer eyes than to behold iniquity. He, he can't look on sin. And so while it was black, it's like all of a sudden this hand with a cup is touched to the lips of Jesus. And in the condition he was in, maybe just spilled it out, out of his mouth and down his chin too. He's drinking this cup. Whatever was in this cup was so awful that Jesus said, Lord, is there any other way possible? But there wasn't. Could you take all the sins of Don Strange, all the sins of you, my dear brother and sister, and take all the sins of the whole world, past, present, and future, and we've got this massive cesspool of rotten, stinking, filthy, awful sin. And let's take all of that mess and compress it down into a cup and give it to Jesus to drink. Because the Bible says God hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin. When Jesus became sin, what did he look like? I don't know. But it was so awful that God turned the sun out. And he became sin for us. And then all of a sudden, God turned it back on. Three hours in darkness, he turned it back on. And he cried out, It is finished! And he bowed his head and delivered up his spirit. Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And he died. He was buried. On the third day, he arose again. Dr. Bob Jones Sr., where your pastor and I both had the privilege of going to his school, he told a story that when Death came to Jesus and found that he was dead. He couldn't, he couldn't hold him. And Jesus went to death and he put his foot on his chest and he reached over and he grabbed the sting of sin and death and he pulled it out. With his other hand, he grabbed the keys of death and hell and stuck them on his own belt. And up from the grave, he arose with a mighty triumph for his foes. He arose a victor over the dark domain. He arose. He's alive today. Death couldn't hold him. You go to the graveyard of the founders of religions and do the roll call. Judah, Moses, here. Muhammad, here. Confucius, here. Buddha, here. Joseph Smith, here. Jesus. Jesus. He's not there. He is raised from the dead. That's how he left this place. He came up and then 
on the day that the ascension took place, standing there on Mount Olivet, he begins to ascend. And a cloud received him out of sight. And two men said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? The same Jesus which you've seen go up in heaven shall so come in like manner as you've seen him go into heaven. Don't stand around here gazing. Go do what he said do. The book of Revelation, chapter 19. John said, I saw heaven open. And behold, a white horse. And he that sitteth upon him was called faithful and true. And in righteousness, he that judge and make war. And he said that on his head he had many crowns. And on a crown he had a name that nobody knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood. When I saw that, I said, when, when did he get that vesture dipped in blood? Where would that happen? He's just coming from glory. This is the second coming. The battle of Armageddon is about to be fought, and he's got this vesture that says he had dipped in blood. Now, I believe that Jesus, to fulfill the type, had to put his, place his blood in heaven. And I think before he came back in Revelation 19, he just stopped by that place and took his garment and dipped it in that blood. I just want to remind them of that there's power in the blood. And so when he comes, he's got that reminder on his thigh. The songwriter said, There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. And sinners plunge beneath that flood, lose all their guilty stains. The dying thief rejoiced to see that day and he found in his day. And there may I, though vile as he... Wash all my sins away. And Jesus is coming back to rule and to reign. The Philippian writer Paul said, Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion, he became obedient unto death even the death of the cross. Wherefore God hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven, things in earth, things under the earth. And every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. I did that on May the 7th, 1962. I trusted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior as a 19-year-old sailor boy. There are people today who've never done that, but they will do that. In acknowledging who Jesus is. Probably most of you say, I've already done that too. So heaven's our home. I hope you had a little glimpse of the autopsy of Jesus to see for yourself. Does he sort of sound like he might really be who he claimed to be? Does it look like he's pulled a scam on all of us? I don't think so. If you would like to know more about the Lord Jesus Christ, you may contact us at the church website, gospelbaptistchurch.com, or you can go to Facebook and type in Gospel Baptist Church Bonita Springs, Florida. Also, you could call the church office at 239-947-1285. 
Thank you and God bless.